Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. God is not a genie in the bottle. Neither is the Word of God about you. The Word of God is about God. Here to discuss this rather obvious but often ignored truth, the man who puts the theos back into theology, my good friend and rotating co-host, Greg Jarvis. Greg, welcome to our program. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. It's good to hear your voice. From you, too. How's everything going? Oh, going okay. Um, of course, this is past my bedtime out here. You know, there is a similar <laughs> difference. And yeah, well, it I wasn't guess. past your bedtime a few years ago when you first started getting on the air. You must be getting kind of old. I know old people turn in early. Well, we just went on this trip to Florida, and we passed by some uh, communities uh, for older adults, and we even visited a relative of Leslie's. And it turns out that for 55 and older, they've got these communities, and I have learned why it starts at 55, because I think I started a downhill slide at 50, and at 55, I feel pretty <laughs> Darn out of shape. Yeah, well, my wife and I go through this tug of war every time we go to the movies because she always wants us to get the senior citizen discount, which she's been pushing me to get ever since I was in my 50s. I'm now in my 60s. I'd still rather pay more money than get the senior citizen discount. <laughs> well, I um, am just glad you're getting out at your age to see movies. So kudos <laughs> to you. <laughs> really? Well, I, my finickiness has not changed. Even when I was a young man, I preferred sitting in the very back so that some meatball cleaver toadhead isn't kicking my seat throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, well, now I think they've taken care of that. Now, and I mean, I don't know about theaters out there, but a lot of theaters here have those reclining uh, seats. It doesn't or... matter, Greg. I could, you can be in seats where there's a mile between you. The guy behind you will find a way to stretch out more and kick that seat. In fact, Mark Bubian, or you've heard shows yeah. that have had Mark Bubian. Actually, I think you were actually out here and met him once in person on one of your visits. Mark, of course, has the large screen and the eight speaker surround sound. I said, Mark, what you're missing to make it the real theater experience is a little vibrator device where you feel like your seat is being kicked. Only then will we feel like we're in a real movie theater. That and the sticky floor. I mean, if he pours a soda on the floor, that would help. So. I, given the choice between the sticky floor and the meatball cleaver kick in my seat, I'll take the sticky floor hands down. I would agree. I would agree. I um, actually saw The Shack yesterday, which was a phenomenal movie. I don't know if you've had oh, a chance they, to see that yet. No. Did they do a good job? They did a very good job. Now, I didn't read the books. So I wasn't comparing it. They It was artistically... Oh. As far as the writing, the dialogue, the character development, the emotion that evoked A+. plus. I know there's questions people have had about the theology. There were times where I just wasn't sure what the writer was trying to say. There were certain things where I'm going, well, if he meant this, I don't agree, but he might have meant that. But the truth is, I think those are sidelines from the main points they were trying to convey. I think it's a wonderful film. I think people should see it. And of course, I write enough things that are on the cutting edge and push the envelope myself. Yeah. Well, he, um, I did read the book. And what did you I think of it? it? Was written, yeah, I thought it was written well, and I liked some of the points I especially liked and could respond in an uncomfortable way. Of course, the topic was just awful in a way, but without giving any spoiler alerts. But then when he presented God as a, as a woman, a black woman, I thought, 
wow, way to go. One, that just made me uncomfortable and had me looking inside. Why am I uncomfortable? Because God's a spirit. He's not male or female. He's not white, black, red, or, you know. So it was great because it challenged my view of God. It caused me to look harder at Scripture for who God truly is. But he, in an interview, had mentioned that it wasn't a book about theology. And there's lots of people that have problems with it. He said it was just basically a storybook for, I think he said, his kids. And it got kind of grew more from that. And so he wrote this book. But it's just a unique way, a unique approach um, for this topic. So I thought it was good. I'll, I'll go to the movie and then be able to compare the book. But it sounds like it was... Yeah, well, I'm glad I saw the movie first because my experience is that the book usually is better. And if I read the book first and then see the movie, obviously the movie will trim out some of what... The, you can't get a whole right. novel into a two-hour movie usually. No. So I'm glad oh, I did right. see the movie first if, if I end up reading the book at all. But it, yeah, it, it was excellent and people should see it. But I know over the years, people have asked me if I've read that book because they wanted to know where I stand theologically. And I can only say it depends on what he says. I, I do hear people talk about God being sexless and that, that makes a lot of sense. It's hard to believe that God is either male or female, but he did have some reason for revealing himself in male terms. And and although I didn't have a problem with this movie, I do have problems when they have these genderless translations of the Bible. And I I still oh, yeah. think that how God chose to reveal himself, we should respect. When he calls himself he, that doesn't mean I think of him as a male the way I think of a human being as a male. But I do right. say, look, he chose to reveal himself this way, and who am I to say otherwise? And so I'm I'm happy to rest there. Uh, that, that's This is one of the mysteries about God that I don't think the Bible has explained to us. And if the Bible hasn't explained it, the shack sure as heck hasn't explained it. (laughs) Well, absolutely. But I think that happened. I think what you just said, and maybe we'll segue into the topic, is very important. In other words, scriptures, I believe scripture states he's neither male or female, that he's a spirit. Well, the scripture does not. The scripture does state that he's a spirit. The scripture does not state anywhere that he is neither male nor female. Well, okay, so I take that back. (laughs) Without a physical form, so I'm going to use logic here, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that his spirit is neither male nor female. But at the same time, what you said, Scripture reveals him in the fatherly kind of figure as as our father, and it was very male. And so I think that, you know, you go to Scripture, you take all of it, and it's not, and here's what we're segueing, because it's not about me, it's about God. And I know that sounds, like you say, real obvious, um, and I'll tell you why I'm even thinking this way right now. But, but anyway, getting back to the point, it's important to take all of Scripture and to focus on that as his story, God's story about what he's done about what he's doing and what he will do, and not from the standpoint, not the focus on me, as if I'm somehow the important uh, figure or central figure of Scripture. I am in my own mind, but that's not, that's not why Scripture was written. It's written for us and to us, but not about us. It's about well, us. speak for yourself, Greg. It may not be about you, but it's sure as heck about me. <laughs> Well, it feels that way, let me tell you. Um, And again, I know that sounds real obvious and almost bordering ridiculous. Why would someone bring that up? But let me say, the other day I was listening to a sermon and it was covering John 5 and it was covering when Jesus healed 
the man who had been paralyzed for around 37, 38 years, and the uh, Jews took offense that he healed him on the Sabbath. So they didn't accept him for who he was. And then he goes off in the next following verses and chapter, and he's feeding 15,000 people and more with what I heard someone refer to as a Hebrew Happy Meal. Uh, <laughs> a, few, a few fish and loaves. In that context, again, listening to a sermon, was talking about when Jesus was talking to the, the Jews, the Pharisees that didn't believe who he was and was really after him because he healed someone on the Sabbath. And he was talking to them, saying that um, in John 5, they search, you know, they search the scriptures because they think in them they have eternal life. And, of course, he goes on to say that, you know, if they really believed those scriptures, because Moses is the one that wrote what they're studying, if they would have believed Moses, they would believe in him, and they don't believe him and who he is. But along with that, in this sermon, they were talking about the Bible not being written about us, but about God. And for some reason, something clicked in my brain, and it became kind of a paradigm shift in my thinking, or maybe not a shift because I already knew the truth that it wasn't about me, but something welled up in me to acknowledge that in my life, I often live it as if my life is about me. Now, again, that sounds obvious that, that it's not, and yet I contend that what I've done, and I think others do, is live our lives as if our lives are about us. And that may, someone may be out there going, what are you talking about? You're talking in circles. But, you know, when I am confronted with the idea that the Bible is about God and what he's doing, that he's the one that should get the credit, he's the one that should get the praise, he's the one that should get the focus, I'm, there's something that reminds me that that's not what I've done. I've often learned about that to tell other people, and I've often learned scripture, and I've you know, grown and blah, blah, blah. But, but it seems to have come around that my focus has been oftentimes placed on me and, and who I am and how I'm developing and my walk with God and kind of how you opened the, the, the show today, what I'm going to get and, you know, and it, I think it revolves around, at least for me, I think a lot of people fall in this category. We want to be correct. We want to feel right. We want to be justified in what we think and in what we've learned. And that sometimes seems to be more of a priority than actually doing what Jesus said, you know, was saying that the Pharisees did they search the scriptures because they thought in them they have eternal life when it's actually in God. We, we do search the scriptures, but not to find things for ourselves as much as to find God himself. And I, that's, I know that sounds like a subtle difference, but for some reason on that particular day when I was musing this uh, through, it just hit me stronger than normally. So does that does that make sense? Does that? Uh, yeah, no, it makes uh, it makes good sense. Those are good observations. Let, let me respond by unpacking a couple of things here. First of all, regarding the scripture and people searching that when it's not even about the scripture, it's about God. Hey, the scripture obviously is very important, but the way I look at it is the scripture is a map. God is the destination. Or another analogy I heard once: a scripture is the menu. And God is the food. You don't eat the menu. So 
the, the purpose of the scripture is to drive us into a relationship with God. If I'm hearing you correctly, I'm hearing that sometimes people aren't really cultivating their relationship with God, but they may know scripture really well. Well, and not only scripture, but they may be working on outward signs. You know, we just had Ash Wednesday, so I'm out and about and I see everyone, you know, with not everyone, but a lot of people with ash on their head. And um, I know that that's meaningful to a lot of people. And so, and that's terrific. But I know that a lot of times we cultivate in our lives certain behaviors, actions that, that we feel good about because we might have been taught that or we might have been reading on our own and decided, you know what, I think that's what the scripture means. And so I'm going to, and then we feel sort of satisfied, whether it's putting, you know, a particular action, whether it's ashes on our head or we study a particular Bible or I wear a cross on a necklace or whatever, all those things appear to be about more about me than me finding God in relationship and who he is and who he desires me to be. Yeah, exactly. And you and you kind of alluded to this when you were talking about how Jesus, in rebuking the Pharisees, said you search the Scriptures because in them you think you're going to find eternal life. But then later on he said, if you were really paying attention to Moses, you'd pay attention to me. Because even though the Pharisees had a reputation of knowing and respecting the Bible, they were really respecting their oral commentary of the Bible, which has since been written down, and it's called the Talmud. And if you talk to an Orthodox Jew today and they talk about Torah study or Bible study, what they're really familiar with is the Talmud. When they came down on Jesus, there was nothing wrong with healing somebody on the Sabbath day. Moses never said you couldn't do that. The Talmud did. And so in a way, he was saying, you're not really searching the scriptures. You're really finding in the scriptures justifications for your traditions. Yeah, it's just... uh... It's so subtle because, to be honest with you, uh, we can live our lives in relationship with God, and we can live our lives outside of that relationship, and those lives can look, on some levels, very, very similar, And you know, which is why Jesus said in the end, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do X, Y, Z in your name, and this and that, and he'll say, I never knew you. So, I, my uh, as always, my concern is is that I'm not living a lie, that I'm not living as if it's all about me, but but that it's about God, and that my my study, my endeavor, my my life should draw me closer to Him in that relationship. And and yet, like I say, that the behaviors, you know, can can be basically the same. It's really more about the motivation and the attitude one has. I know when I've shared Christ with people before and walked away and they uh, either didn't, didn't understand or they didn't want any part of it, I walked away kind of feeling dejected. And I know now looking back with this simplistic idea of it not being about me, it's about God. I think there are times that it was more about me. You know, Christ, when he's talking to authorities, says, that, you know, when, when a person speaks on his own authority, he seeks his own glory. But when someone uh, seeks the glory of God and, and, you know, who sent him, who sent Christ, then in him there's no falsehood. There's no, so, so Christ, of course, being sent by God, he was true. Everything he said was true. When I come onto the scene, 
and I'm speaking about the things of God, if I'm truly speaking the things of God for God on God's behalf, then I think if I walked away from those same situations that I just mentioned, I would feel sad. I might feel sad for the person. I might feel sad for that relationship between them and God not coming together right there. But to feel dejected or anything more than that, it it can tell me that I'm actually focusing more on myself and what I'm trying to accomplish and what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do might be a very good thing, tell others about God. But underneath that, why? Why am I trying to do that? Why? What difference does it make? And if they accept Christ, do I walk away feeling good about me, or do I feel good about God? Right, and and I think you you put it well when you said it goes back to the motivation, because there is something in us. The the problem is we have our sin natures, and the sin natures are a distorted shattering of the original image of God that we were meant to have. And sin is a perversion of something that in and of itself was good. So it gets a little bit confusing because there is, I think, it's sometimes hard to imagine human life if it was not sinful because we're so used to the sin. But the non-sinful version, the ideal version, we would still have a desire to produce and contribute and do something important and, and know that our lives are meaningful. So there's a point where, where some of that is okay. It gets tempered with Jesus saying, hey, if they rejected me, they'll reject you. Don't take this personally. Yes, we'll be sad for somebody if they choose to reject Christ, but they are rejecting Christ. They're not rejecting us. Now, you you had begun by talking about how the Bible's not about us, it's about God. I'll go with you about 50% on that. The Bible is about us and God because the, the, the object of God's love in the Bible is is us, not me personally, but human beings as a species. It's all about how God wants to redeem us. And Greg, in your relationship with God, it is about you in the sense that, okay, God is omnipresent. He's having relationships with others too, but he's He's working with you on your life. You are his son. You are his offspring. You are the one he's taking responsibility to raise. You are the object of his love. Now, as a good father— any father would want to teach his son or his daughter not to be selfish. He would, they would want to teach them that life is not always about you. So your relationship with God is about you. But if it's going well, then as you interact with other people, you're going to say, hey, it's not just about me. It's about them, too. It's about what makes my wife happy. It's about what makes my kids happy. It's about what makes my friends happy. But the commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. If we're not also loving ourselves, we can't love our neighbor. So I think there's a, I think there's a balance to be looked at here. Well, I, I would agree with you since it's your show. Um, <laughs> oh, gee. Okay, now, just between you and me and the audience, if it wasn't my show, would you be agreeing with me? I would. That's what makes this so crazy, because it seems so obvious, absurdly obvious that it isn't about me. And yet, like you just pointed out, it is about me. If, if I would, and as you said this before, if I was the only person on earth. God would have come down and died, died just for you. Absolutely. Now, exactly okay. why he would have done that just for you, I'm sure I don't know, but I know that that's true. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't know, and I'm sure he would question. Actually, I'm sure I do know, because God created you in a way that made you specially lovable to him, and you're my good friend, and I love you, too. So oh, I'm messing. Yeah. That's why I feel free to mess with you. Yeah, that's right. That, that too. That's why, because I'm lovable. No, but here, you bring up a great point. Okay, so yes, it is about 
us in that it's about humanity. But what I'm saying is I think sometimes we take it to an extreme and that old sin nature without our being fully aware of it, sometimes we make it more about us than it should. And when when this when this idea came on my mind and I started thinking it through, I thought, you know, there's a lot of scriptures that if you point out to yourself, oh, that's right, this life's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing. Yes, it's what he's doing in me. And yes, it's what he's doing through me. But it's not about me. There's a lot of scriptures that fall into place. There's a lot of concepts that fall into place. And you brought up one of them, God's unconditional love. People love that. Well, hey, God loves unconditionally. And he loves me unconditionally. And he loves you unconditionally. And blah, blah. Well, that's true. And in that comment, that's where the subtlety comes. A lot of us will hear that comment and we'll lean toward us. God unconditionally loves me. I'm the one he's unconditionally loving. When really, with this concept, as I'm running it through my mind, I'm overwhelmed by the idea of, oh, no, no, no. The emphasis is on he is unconditional love. And yes, it's me he's loving, but it's him that's doing the loving. The emphasis is more on him as the lover as opposed to me as the object. Well, well, and it's a starting point. He starts by saying, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, I love you unconditionally, partly because I'm loving. So I agree with kind of agree. Okay, I sort of agree. Kind of agree. Oh, Greg, that's so silly. <laughs> kind of. Like anybody could just kind of agree with me. I uh, know. Why would anyone disagree? No, I do agree. I think Joe, I want to say is what this what this has done for me, this this perspective and dwelling on this and praying about this, meditating on it, it's it's I almost jealously want God to get all the focus and all the praise and all the glory for everything going on in my life, which is so freeing because I don't want to say prior to this there wasn't any of that, because there was. And that's what makes this so weird, because it's obvious, and yet I slip in and out of it all the time without ever really kind of focusing on it. But now focusing on it, I'm just aware that a lot of times in our walk, God gets kind of the second rating or, or attention, and we take kind of the preeminent place a lot of times, or what we're doing, what we believe, what we're learning, you know, and it's, it becomes more about us. So that's kind of what's behind this is um, a desire to, and I understand what you're saying with unconditional love, you know, we're the object, I'm the object, and I get that, but I'm only the object because he's chosen me to be that object. And I'm and, and object. he wants you to make others the object of your unconditional love once right? again. At that point... It's not just take the focus off of me and put it on God. It's take the focus off of me and put it on other people. That's what delights God. Absolutely. It's almost like, like someone handing, it's like me being a football player and, and the quarterback handing me the football. We're doing some play here, handing me the football to hand it to someone else to let them run. Yeah, exactly. Instead of someone saying, no, no, I don't want to hand it to him. I want to make the touchdown. I want to. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so we participate, absolutely, but even if we are able to give that unconditional love ourselves, we diminish as far as importance or focus, I should say, focus on ourselves. That focus leaves from God, well, it doesn't really leave, 
we focus on God, we have that relationship, and then we turn to this side and we focus on the other individual, and we love them, as you said, as we love ourselves. And so as I was thinking of this, there's a lot of truths and a lot of scriptures that sort of like dominoes fall into place or, or make more sense or just resonate even stronger because of that. For example, when Christ says, you know, you who are weary and heavy laden, you know, come to me. My my burden is light. My load is light. It's kind of like, hmm, well, what are, what is our burden? Even as a Christian, I think we tend to pick up our burden again, unfortunately. But before we come to Christ, we are burdened by sin. We are burdened by uh, the world and everything that we're trying to accomplish, you know, basically living for ourselves, which is huge, and it's always a disappointment. And so when we accept Christ and we have that relationship and the focus is taken off of us, there is a sort of lightness of being, if you will. And so that concept kind of makes more sense. I, you know, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Maybe I'm Well, I, I do, because it can be freeing to, to lay down the burden of having to be that wrapped up in ourselves. It's like when Jesus says that worry is a sin. Now, worry is one of the things I struggle with. It's a strange enigma because I don't worry about the big things. I, but if I get some bill that's off or something, it drives me nuts. And, and yet I find it liberating to read that worry is a sin because if God's telling me that worry is a sin, he's telling me there's really nothing to worry about. And that can be, that can right. be very liberating and many free. And, and then, Greg, because you're a very self-analytical person, you're very reflective that's a good thing. You're also hard on yourself sometimes. So I know you've heard me say this before, but I do want to mention that we would not have the ability to be that reflective about who we're thinking about more God or ourselves, who we're thinking about more God or others. Human beings by nature don't think that way. So the very fact that you're even wrestling with this or were wrestling with it. It sounds like you're having a lot more peace about it now, but to, to have even been wrestling with it, that is such strong evidence that it is the spirit of God in your heart churning everything. Absolutely. And that's so incredible. It like blows the doors off of everything. It's, it's wonderful. And, and, and I, yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. We don't, uh, we won't do that on our own unless God is working with us and on us. Uh, we, yeah, we, we left to our own devices, don't get up one day and say, gee, I should start putting God first. It's God who comes and whispers in our ear and says, hey, buddy, when's the last time you've really been thinking about me? Uh, can you extend the show a little longer? Because I've got like four pages of notes and we've <laughs> only covered like two. Yeah, so. and this from the guy who when I call and says, when's the next time you want to come on? Well, it, Oh, Maybe yeah. another month or so, because Leslie and I are doing this, and the kids are doing that, and the roof fell oh, yeah. in, and I, I collapsed, and I went to emergency, and little things like that. You bet. There's always something going on. Okay, well, real For quick, this show, we accept going. death as an excuse, and we still want two weeks' notice ahead of time. <laughs> I'll um, have to do something um, prior so that when I do go, that there'll still be material to cover. I'll so here's the thing. You just we just talked about you know the, his burden being light, ours not so much. There's other things that sort of like to me in my mind fall into place with the focus being that on that God's the focus more than myself because because a lot of times if it's myself, 
again, depending on, you know, if I'm trying to be a good Baptist or a good Catholic or a good fill-in-the-blank, I'm making it about me, and I'll find myself to be self-satisfied in my walk with God. And I'll go about my day, and I'll go to my job, and I'll do whatever, living my life thinking, well, I'm okay, because I, whenever I walk down an aisle when I was a certain age, or I, I do this every certain day, or I, you know, whatever it is, I'll be self-satisfied if the focus is on me. At least that might be a tendency. Well, yeah, and, and we're we're much more much as human beings talk about freedom, we we actually like laws. We actually gravitate toward rules, and it's easy for somebody to stick four or three things on the refrigerator with a magnet, saying, "If I do these things, I'm serving God." That's why so many people move away from grace and move back to the law, but they forget it's not the purpose of the New Testament to replace old law with new law. It's the purpose of the New Testament to replace old law with a new relationship with God, in which we get up every morning and say, God, what are you calling me to do today? And it may be something different than what you called me to do tomorrow. Now, it relates to the law in the sense that Jesus said, if you treat people the way you want to be treated, in other words, treat them unselfishly, you're fulfilling the law. We can't fulfill it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. But it's that relationship that we're supposed to be gravitating toward. And what we tend to gravitate toward are rules and regulations. Well, and, and again, that, when we do that, is because we're tending to focus more on our, ourselves and what we can do and what we can equip ourselves with and how we can carry this out throughout the day and, and whatnot. But, but it is key to focus more on God and what He's doing, especially like you said, He's up in the morning and it's, it's not, well, I've got all these things to do. It's, God, where will you have me go? What will you have me do? And if we focus on God in that way, then things make sense. Like when he says, worries is sin. Anytime we sin, uh, I'm convinced we're really just thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about God. We're focusing on Well, the Bible, defi- in fact, the Bible defines sin as selfishness. In fact, I, I like to use the word selfish because a lot of times when you use the word sin, it evokes all these different images. And you have people right. that think, well, right. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around, I guess I don't sin. Well, sin has to do with the way we treat people. Well, and I guess they don't go to the movies with me either. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't do those things. All right. So so the other things that fall into place, or at least for me, is like the idea that if I'm focusing on myself, I can be uh, gotten to a place where I'm concerned or worried about, uh, as you know, a lot of people have come to you saying, oh, have I lost my salvation? Have I got a lot? You know, I don't know. I feel so far away. And I'm... Well, when my focus is on God, then I'm in that relationship, and it's ongoing. So scripture that says nothing can separate us from the love of God, it resonates more when I have this. Because you're experiencing the love of God as you read it. Exactly, exactly. And I'm not trying to learn it for myself for what I can get out of it. It's it's because of the relationships going on. Or when he says, you know, don't pray with repetition or, or a lot of words or out on the street corner for everyone to see you. Well, why? Because the focus is more on me. And again, it gets back to the motive because the apostles did go out on the street right. corners and pray right in the second chapter of Acts. But their motivation was that they were praising God. When somebody's going out and praying in front of other people to show off, or, and you and I, we've both been through this. You're at a prayer meeting, and you can tell somebody's really giving a three-point sermon in their long prayer, and they're bringing right. attention to themselves. And yeah. uh, sometimes right. you just ask them to bless the meal. And then, and Lord, 
We think about people in the third world right now. And you're going on and on. You're going, hey, brother, you forgot to bless the dog. I mean, can we eat already? You know? And that's and that is true. And that's what makes it so difficult at times and yet so important because I think unless we really look at this and grapple with it, we can easily fall into that. I mean, you know, we're not necessarily there might be some people who are listening, go out on street corners and they're 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 preaching and but you're right, it depends on the underlying heart, the motivation. And on what and God called us to do. Some God right, calls right. some people to preach on street corners, other people to hand out tracts, other people to do neither of those things. We're not living Absolutely. under the law. It depends on what, and it's not incumbent on me to judge somebody who's preaching a certain way. But if he starts telling me the way he preaches is the way everybody has to preach, then it becomes an issue. And that's the Bible has legitimate and illegitimate judgments described. An illegitimate one is when we're judging somebody else's spirituality because they're not serving God exactly the way we do it. Right. And what you just brought up, if I'm looking at someone and I am judging them, then who's the focus on? Normally, it's on me and what I already yeah. believe and how that person's not measuring up to what I'm thinking. And again, that focus isn't on me. This this whole thing isn't about me. It's about God. Now, if I can go to his word and I can see how, you know, maybe they're off or whatever they're doing and, and I can reason and dialogue, okay. But again, it's that motivation and it's that focus. But, but sometimes the behavior, like I said, it'll be exactly the same. It'll be identical. It'll be the two guys building their house side by side. Or like the parable of the tares and the wheat. Yep, growing in the same field. Well, we tend to shroud even what we do with spirituality, even if we're doing it for ourselves. We never come out and just admit that it's about us. It's always about God. Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.